Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Qad sami'allahu qawla allati tujadiluka fi zawjiha Wa tashtaki ila Allah Wallahu yasma'u tahawurakuma Inna allaha sami'un basir Al-lazina yudahiruna minkum min nisa'ihim Ma hunna ummahatihim In ummahatuhum illa allai waladnahum Wa innahum layakuluna munkaran minal qawli wazura وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَعَفُوٌّ غَفُورٌ وَالَّذِينَ يُظَاهِرُونَ مِن نِسَائِهِمْ ثُمَّ يَعُودُونَ لِمَا قَالُوا فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مِّن قَبْلِ أَن ذَلِكُمْ تُوعَظُونَ بِهِ وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرٌ رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي فالحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم ما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته once again alhamdulillah we're starting surah al-mujadala today we have some pretty heavy surahs to cover uh, today as they are all part of the musabbihat this uh, you will notice in a few of the musabbihat that Allah azza wa jal fuses two matters together matters of uh, sometimes domestic concern family concern and uh, specifically marriage-related matters. And he combines them with matters of Iman. And when we say matters of Iman, it includes the threat to Iman also, which is nifaq, hypocrisy. So those two subjects get intertwined in a number of these surahs. Surah Al-Taghabun is like that. Surah Al-Jumu'ah is like that. Uh, Surah Al-Tahreem is like that. Surah Al-Talaq is like that. This surah is like that. Surah Al-Hashar is like that too. So in, in a bunch of these surahs, that's, that seems to be the case. And it's interesting that that is the case because Allah Azza wa does not let us separate matters of Iman with matters of family. The, the two are kind of inter, interrelated. You can't, you can't just, you know, think of, worry about your faith and not worry about your family, you know. And so there was one particular phenomenon that this surah begins with, and that's, that has to do with, you know, a domestic disturbance. Basically, you have a husband and a wife, they get into a nasty fight. And of course, when, you know, things get escalated between husband and wife, there may be a tendency to say some extreme things that you don't really mean, or maybe you say them and you're so angry that your anger doesn't subside in a day or two or a week even. You just say them and you know, you're off. Now, what happens in this case is the husband does something in the Arabic called dihar, like the, the sarf of it. You should know dhahara yudahiru. Finish it off for me. Dhahara yudahiru, dhiharan wa. Mudaharatan, right? Fahuwa mudahir. So dihar was an Arabic phrase used to say that the husband got so mad at his wife that he said, you're like my mother. From today on, you're like my mother. And dhahar literally is back. Like I'm not, you know, you're like the back of my mother, which basically means I am not interested in you ever again. I don't want anything to do with you. And I will never look at you. I will look at you I was, as though I would look at my mother. Basically, we're done. Our relationship is finished. So it was a disgusting thing to say. But there was this case of a husband and wife, a sahabiya, Khawla radiallahu anha, whose husband said this to her. And she had little kids. And you know, now she's out of the house and she doesn't know what to do. So she came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa saying that this is what my husband has said. 
Because, you know, back in the day, in the Jahiliyyah times, pre-Islamic times, basically when you call your wife your mother, it's done. It's their form of talaq almost, right? That it's, it's done with, it's over. And he wants, it's, it's sev- the relationship is severed forever. So she says, what should I do? And the Prophet ﷺ is silent because revelation hasn't come to inform him of the answer yet. And this is actually in and of itself revelation. That in and of itself is revelation. Because you have to understand the subtlety of when the Prophet responds وسلم, and when he doesn't respond. Sometimes people would ask him and he would respond immediately. And then revelation would come. So it's not like he was waiting for revelation to come to respond. But sometimes it would be even a form of revelation for him not to respond. That he would, he would something in his heart would tell him, an ayah is going to come about this. I can't say anything about this. And in other cases, he would say something. Like There are examples of that in Quran. People came and asked him permission. Can I not go into the battlefield? And he responded immediately, yeah, sure, you can stay behind. Then the ayat came down, why did you give them permission? You shouldn't have given them permission, subhanAllah. And sometimes he wouldn't respond. He would say, no, I'm going to wait for revelation to come. And actually, even in the case where he gave permission, and then revelation came, even that at a subtle level, at a very you know, covert level, even that's revelation. Because if he, gave the permi- if he didn't give the permission, the ayah wouldn't have been revealed. Right? The ayah needs to be revealed, and the ayah needs to address that particular kind of problem. So even him giving that permission is a form of revelation. That is a form of revelation, because it facilitates you know, the, the, the Qur'an being revealed for that particular circumstance. Anyhow, so you know, she keeps on complaining, or she keeps you know, begging the Prophet I have little children, what am I going to do? And she's desperate and she's crying, and the Prophet is holding back. And then she turns to Allah and she makes this plea to Allah, Ya Allah help. And this ayah is revealed in this situation, this, this concept is revealed. And that's what we're going to see in this surah, in the beginning. قَدْ اللَّهُ Allah already heard the word of the one that was debating with you, arguing with you. Give me, give me something, give me a solution about her husband. This is also, this ayah, from a linguistic point of view, is also a dalil that the word zawj can be used for husband or wife. That the word zawj can be used for husband or wife. Because the word zawj here is being used for husband. Other places, the broken plural of zawj, azwaj and mutahara wives. So it can be used spouses, in the meaning of spouses also. Okay? وَتَشْتَكِي إِلَى اللَّهِ اشتكي يَشْتَكِي means to complain. And to complain with, you know, like shaka yashku in Arabic is also to complain. But ishtaka is to complain a lot. It's the mubalagh form, it's the ifti'al form. So it's more powerful. So he was, she was really complaining to Allah. وَاللَّهُ يَسْمَعُ تَحَاوُرَكُمَا And Allah Himself was actually all along listening to the discussion both of you were having. Tahawara, let's try the sarf here, let's see how good you are. Tahawara, yatahawaru, tahawuran, that's the mustar mentioned in the ayah. Tahawurakuma. That's the mustar of tahawara yatahawaru. From hiwar. Hiwar is conversation, dialogue, back and forth. Okay? Ba- back and forth. Like in Surah Al Kahf, wahua yuhawiruhu. He's just talking to him. But this is a mutual exchange, and tahawur is used to suggest that the conversation was courteous, that the Prophet was being courteous with her. If it's you know, a more intense conversation, then the more intense pattern is used, which is hiwarakuma, hawara yuhawiru. That's more intense. That can even be offensive. And actually in Surah Al-Kahf, hiwar is used, not tahawur. وَقَالَ لَهُ صَحِبُهُ وَهُوَ Not yatahawaruhu, but yuhawiruhu. No, yuhawiruhu. So it's more intense actually. So Allah saw your exchange among each other. Inna Allah sami'un basir. Certainly Allah hears all and sees all. Alladhina yudahiruna minkum min nisa'ihim. Those among you that have done the dis- this-, this despicable act of declaring their wives their mothers. Ma hunna ummahatihim. 
They are not their mothers at all. That's the end of that problem. Ma hunna mubtada ummahatihim khabar. Finish. Okay, and the ma is for refutation, right? No, that's a stupid thing you did. You're wrong. Not, you, can call her all you, you can call her an elephant, she's still going to be your wife. You can call her your mother, your sister, your grandma, your grandpa, it doesn't matter. She's still going to be your wife. You can call her whatever you want that will not change the relationship. And this is actually something across the board in Islamic relationships. Right? The relations of the womb and even the relations of marriage. They have a precedent in Islam. They are They've taken a severe contract from you. It doesn't just get severed by some exaggerated speech. It doesn't disappear. And this is even true of the most intense loving relationships. Not just this was out of hate, but even out of love. In Surah Al-Ahzab we learned when the Prophet out of love declares, you know, Zayd radiallahu anhu his son, it's not enough. You can call him your son all you want, he's still not your son. He's not going to have a shared inheritance. He can't take your name. He can't be Zayd ibn Muhammad. You can't change his name. Because that's the, his identity will not change. Out of love you can call him your son. The same way you can call somebody Ammu, uncle. Doesn't make him your dad's brother. It's a term of respect. These things don't actually have an impact on actual relationships. And the same is true at the MSA, guys. She's like my sister. Okay, yeah. She could be like your sister. But she's not your sister. And she, your sister is your mahram and she's not. So stop playing with words. Because that's not going to change anything. That's, that doesn't change anything. Or you say in your extended family, sometimes you have extended family and you get Eid get-togethers, right? And you know, siblings are there, cousins are there, and you're like, oh, my cousins are like my sister, right? They're just like that. We were raised together. You know, I used to slap him when he was little. So it's okay that he's 19 and I'm 18, and we're, you know, watching a boxing match together or something. It's okay, we're just having fun. It's just like my brother. Uh-uh, he's not like your brother, because he's not your brother. Saying it doesn't change that. Okay, so mahun naumati, and of course the other negative example is very common among Desi culture. From today on, you are not my son. <laughs> Don't call me your mother ever again. Uh, no, mom, I'll call you mom. You can't change that. Father says, "Ask about to marry Britain, you?" Yep, I am. Can't change that. Sorry, you're stuck with me, and I'm stuck with you, dad. <laughs> it's going to be like that. This is, this is lihar. But the, the ugliest form of it, obviously, between the husband and the wife. And this also suggests that Allah took the license away from husbands to be able to say whatever they want in the confines of their home. That even that got heard. And that got addressed by revelation of Quran. And it's a, a, a few things, right? This is first in the beginning of the surah. Two, the surah is named by that, that discussion. Mujadala. The debate. Debate between who? The Prophet ﷺ and this woman. The surah got named by that. And not one. Four ayat on the same issue. Four ayat on the same issue. First, that he heard her complaint. Which means her complaint is legitimate and important enough that an ayah of Qur'an should be dedicated to it. Two, that, that then on top of that, they should, it should be refuted. Their mothers are nothing but the one, those women who gave birth to them. This is alladina. Alladina's feminine form is allati and allai. This is allai being used here. Inshallah, when we do a literary study of Quran one day, then we'll study the difference between allati and allai. Sometimes Allah uses allati, and sometimes He uses allai. There's a subtle difference between them. Anyhow, their 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 mothers are none but the ones who gave them birth. Waladna hum. This is huwa walada hunna waladna. 
This is the past tense of the verb. And they're saying something disgusting of the things that can be said. Min al Of the things that could be said, they've chosen something very disgusting to say. And the word min al here suggests there were other ways to express your frustration with your wife. There were other ways to get the point across. You just didn't think it through and you just picked the worst thing you could have said. Munkara min al And I understand the word munkar here too, because I mean, inshallah ta'ala. Um, I, I plan on doing another series. I wasn't happy with the first series I did on Umar bin Ma'roof and Nahi Ali Munkar. I plan on doing another one. But the word Munkar comes from Nakira. And Nakira literally means unknown. That, that which is unknown. Munkar is that which is unknown. Ankara actually also means to deny. Like if you, you see someone and say, you know that guy, ta'rifuhu? La unkiruhu. I have no idea who that is. I completely deny knowing him. I have nothing to do with that guy. It's completely unfamiliar to me. That's Munkar. Ma'roof, on the other hand, is that which is easily recognized. Obviously, yeah, I know him. He's ma'roof to me. He's known to me, right? So the word munkar here is, this is alien to anybody with a sense of decency. This kind of language is completely alien to them. It's unknown to them. And from it stems the idea that it's evil. Because if decent people would never have heard such a thing, that's only because it must have been evil. So the idea of something being unknown or unusual and you know, disturbing is associated with evil. Because in a good society, in a healthy society, those words are just, they become unknown. Like, you know, if you raise your children in a sheltered environment, and they don't hear foul language, they don't hear cursing, they don't hear, you know, people like making fun of each other, they don't, see, they don't hear riba. First time they hear a foul word, do they even know what it means? No, it's munkar to them. Like, what is that? What is that? Munkaram min al-qawl. Wazura, and it's a false statement. Zur is actually a false accusation that is meant to hurt somebody. Literally, Zur means false accusation that is meant to hurt somebody. It also means false testimony that is meant to hurt somebody in a trial. Allah says, They don't testify false testimony meant to hurt somebody. They don't testify falsely in court. They don't say, yeah, yeah, he did say that. I was there, I saw him. That's Zur. So this is this is serious matter. And certainly Allah is extremely pardoning and always forgive, forgiving, extremely forgiving. And the idea behind that is, look, this is a pretty big deal, but don't let it happen again and forget it ever happened. Move on, make istighfar. Then those who did this heinous crime of lihar, they said that to their women. And then they go back from what they said, they take it back. Literally, going back from what they said means they took it back. Okay, okay, sorry, 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 I didn't mean it. Then they have to free a slave before they can touch one another. They can't have intimacy as husband and wife again until they pay a penalty, a crime, a, you know, a, a, a tax. And that will be, that, that, that penalty will be freeing a slave. That is what you are being counseled to do. That is the counsel being offered to you. And that, and Allah is especially in regards to whatever you're up to, and fully aware, has full news. And whoever wouldn't find such a slave, that also means not like he went around looking for a slave and he couldn't find one, but it also means if you're not capable. If you're not capable of freeing the slave, you just couldn't, you don't have the financial means. فَصِيَامُ Seriously, شَهْرَيْنِ mutatabi'ain, Two consecutive months. Two consecutive months you have to fast. 60 days and mutatabi'ain suggests you can't take a break in the middle. And make it up later. Mutatabi'ain. Min qabli an yatamassa. Before they get to touch one another. 
And whoever can't even do that, maybe he's sick, maybe he's an old guy, got mad at his wife. And says, you know, can't even stand straight. And he says, you know, from today you're, you know, my mother. And the old lady's like, you know, you have to fast 60 days. He can't even fast two hours without his medicine. What's he going to do? Then Allah made another way. Then he better feed 60 poor people. And he didn't put a restriction on it, like it has to be one party for 60 people. So it, have, it could be over time. But until he finishes paying off, give feeding how many? 60 people. So if not 60 fast, then 60 iftars, right? It's one or the other. But then, you know, there are other conditions. Min awsati ma tut'imun, some fuqaha add here from other ayat of Quran. Not just like you go around handing people like a Twix. You know, one of these. Here. One, two, and you take four bars right out of this. And just four people are covered. No, the same kind of meal you eat. Min awsati ma tut'imun. You know, from the average of what you would feed, meaning what you eat yourselves. The kind of food you eat yourself. So you got to take 60 people out to lunch and they better be poor. Don't take your friends out to lunch and say, okay, now it's done. Whew, never going to say that again. No, no, no. Miskeen, they have to be poor people. That is so that you can believe in Allah and His Messenger. What is, this purpose of, what is the purpose of saying so that you can believe in Allah and His Messenger? You know, because when you pay a penalty in this dunya, and you paid for so long, 60 days of fasting, 60 people are being fed, you know, freeing a slave. These are serious things. And when you're engaged in paying that penalty, every time you're paying it, what's your motivation? I'm making up for the crime I committed, so I don't have to answer for it in the akhirah. So that constant, that consciousness that keeps coming back over and over again is a reinforcement of your iman. In Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa those are the boundaries set by Allah. And for disbelievers in particular, there is going to be painful punishment. The ayah is not even about kafirin. The ayah is about believers. And this is a madani surah. The entire audience is Muslims. The entire, you know, this is going to be a ya ayyuhalladina amanu surah. You know? Now, what's, what's kafirin doing here? Because this is a kufr of the hukum, it is the kufr of the instruction. Whoever denies this instruction, doesn't care about it, what's the Prophet going to know what I did in my house with my wife? How is he going to know? What's, it's my personal business. You want to be in denial of it? Well, then Allah will deal with you. They'll have painful punishment. So we're learning that you know, the word kufr even is not one broad paint stroke term in the Quran. It depends where it's being used. What are you in denial of? For example, in Surah Ali Imran, Allah talks about hajj. He talks about Hajj. وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ مَنِ اسْتَطَاعَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا وَمَنْ كَفَرَ He says, whoever can make the Hajj of the house should go. And whoever does kufr? What do you mean? Whoever does kufr? Whoever denies that obligation. Whoever can go and still doesn't go. Whoever is ungrateful for the opportunity. Allah opened the means, the finances, the health, everything is there for you to go and you still denied it. That's a kind of kufr too. You don't go, you don't go around calling that person a kafir. But that's a personal call. Am I in that crime? Am I in that f particular form of dis, you know, uh, denial? And that particular form of ingratitude? Because at the root level, that's what kufr means. Denial and ingratitude. Maybe you're denying one instruction. That's one instruction too many. Maybe you're ungrateful for one opportunity. That's one opportunity too many. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُّونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ كُبِتُونَ 
No doubt those who resist, who oppose the messenger with the strongest form of opposition. Hadda, yuhadu is irregular from the fa'ala form, something you haven't learned, the muda'af form of the verb. And hadda comes from the word hadid. The previous surah was hadid, right? Those who are tough against Allah and His Messenger and basically means they have an iron attitude towards Him, an unbending attitude, an uncompromising attitude in opposition against Allah and His Messenger. Kubitu. Kubitu means they were humiliated and then destroyed. Kubitu yani udhillu wa uhliku. Imana udhillu wa uhliku. Kubitu. Kama kubita al min qablihim. Just like those who came much before them were humiliated and destroyed. Waqad anzalna ayatin bayinatin. And we've already said clear, miraculous proofs and, uh, uh, and signs that are self-evident. And for disbelievers, there's going to be pain, humiliating punishment. Muhin comes from ihana and hoon and haun. These are words for humiliation. Humiliation. So Allah says in this ayah, basically those who oppose Allah and this messenger, especially our messenger وسلم, they're not just going to be punished. They're going to be humiliated. And at the end of it all, the quality of that punishment will also be humiliating on top of all other things. And you can even connect the yawma to the previous. You know, they will have painful punishment on the day on which Allah will gather them all together. The real humiliation will come when All together he will be appointing, raising all of them. Then he will inform them thoroughly of all the things they used to do. This is nabba'a. Can you help me with the saf guys? Nabba'a. Yunabbi'u tanbi'an. Fayunabbi'uhum. Nabba'a yunabbi'u. Fayunabbi'uhum bima amilu. He will thoroughly inform them. If you just inform somebody of one thing, you say amba'a. Like amba'a yunbi'u imba'an. The if'al form. But if you thoroughly inform someone, and it's an extended discussion, then you extend it by the act being extended in the taf'il form. So yunabbi'uhum bima amilu. He will thoroughly inform them of all the things they did. Ahsahu Allahu wa nasuhu. Allah had full record of them. Ahsa. Ihsa literally means to count using pebbles. Husat. They say in Arabic there's an expression of husatu min al jabal. That pebbles come from the mountain. Pebbles come from the mountain. Al husatu min al jabal. The, the, the ahsa implies to count using pebbles, meaning have perfect count. You know, there's one guy that's like counting like this 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. He could get, he could make a mistake. But the guy that's like, for everything that's there, he puts a pebble in the bottle. You know, it's the exact count, exact record. And it's an archive now, These are, this is the count. This is Ahsahullah, complete record. And when and they forgot it. They don't even remember. Allah is reminding them of the things they said. And this is very natural for human beings to forget what we say, to forget what we did. And you, you, you would think you wouldn't forget, but you would. I met a student yesterday, she said, uh, and you know, at which I said, you, you promised you'll give me a mushaf as a gift. I was like, I have no re recollection of this. No, you did. I mean, I don't mean to say this publicly, but I am. <laughs> you promised. I was like, okay, well, I, since I don't remember, I will trust you on that one, and I will give you your gift when you come over to campus. Cool. I have no, re no recollection. We don't even remember, forget crimes which subconsciously we want to forget. Subconsciously we want to forget the mistakes we made. I didn't do that. You know, sometimes our children, when they make a mistake, they say, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't do it. I didn't. Ah. 
Sometimes they're doing it to cover up and sometimes, you know, subconsciously their mind forgets the things that get them in trouble. They block it out of their memory. Allah doesn't let it block it out of His memory. It stays on record and they forget it and they see it like, I really did that? And that's why you should have cameras all over your house. <laughs> Here's the video. <laughs> this is what you said. This is what you did. Wallahu ala kulli shay'in shaheed. And Allah is complete. And over all things, He's a constant witness. Notice the word shahid would have been an ism fa'il, but shaheed is fa'il. He's constantly witnessing all things that are happening. Alam tara. Now we're moving on to another subject. This was the subject of, you know, um, the, the, uh, the, the record being raised, and it was directly associated with the privacy of the home. But from one kind of privacy and corruption happening in one privacy, we're going to another kind of privacy, and that is najwa. Najwa. Najwa is something I talked about yesterday, but I'll reintroduce you to the concept. Basically, in Islam, there are two kinds of, two activities that are antithetical to each other. There's shura on the one hand and najwa on the other. Okay, so there's two, two activities that are opposites of each other. Shura basically means people get together in like, let's say in the case of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet holds a meeting, there's a halaqa, and he's taking suggestion from a select group of people. There's like 20 sahabis sitting there, and he's taking suggestions from them, and he's, everybody's voicing their opinion, somebody gives an opinion, somebody's opposed to that opinion, somebody says this is a good idea, somebody says it's a bad idea, and there's a back and forth going on. This is shura. It's an, it's an open exchange of ideas, so you can reach a better conclusion at the end. It's constructive criticism, right? It's affirmation. Somebody's thinking, is this a good idea? Two other people support it and say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And there's an addition, amendments are made to the original thought, etc., etc. It's a productive discussion. It's a productive discussion that leads to a conclusion in the end. That is shura. That's shura. Najwa, however, is that if a select group within that group Let's say there are 20 people, five of them after the meeting is over, they hang out in the parking lot and they have a meeting after the meeting. And then they express opinions that they failed to address while the meeting was actually happening. They have concerns, maybe even genuine ones, but they didn't raise them in the actual meeting. They raised them outside among this other group of friends. And it may even be innocent, but this turns into najwa. Because al-majalis bil-amana, right? You, heard, you remember the hadith that you, you went through. The, the gatherings are dependent upon the, the ability to be able to be trustworthy. They are trust. And gatherings are pointless, worthless, meaningless if there's no trust. And one of the trusts of the meeting is that the subject matter of that gathering is going to be discussed at that time with those people, everybody present. That's part of the trust of that meeting. When you violate that trust and two, three, four, five of you pull out and you're having your own separate discussion, a meeting after the meeting. You know, because you know what happens in groups, right? Large groups, cliques form. Three, four people that are friends with each other, that hang out with each other anyway, which is cool. And they're also in this organization. They're also part of that meeting. So of course, when they hang out by themselves, they might bring up the subject matter of the meeting. But they actually have to be disciplined enough to not fall into that. Because, and I'll tell you some of the other dangers of that, that this is not the time to go into too much detail, but at least a few things need to be highlighted. When three or four people within the larger group, five people from the larger group, discuss things among themselves, they form a sub-opinion. They form a block. And they become even more firm and more convicted, con convinced of their own opinion. So now they're not coming into the larger meeting with an open mind, ready to take other ideas. They've actually come almost like a lobby. 
almost like a lobby, ready to deflect any ideas that oppose their own, right? So they come in with an agenda. The, ag the agenda of shura is that everybody's on an equal footing and they're open to everybody else's ideas and there's no groups forming. The idea of najwa is there's a lobby that forms. There's a subgroup that forms, okay? And this subgroup tries to hijack the rest of the meeting. Because five people on the same mind, even if they're five out of 20, that's five people on the same opinion as opposed to 15 that have different opinions. So they do have more momentum now and they can hijack the course of the discussion. They could do that. And this could even happen when you mean well. You just meant well. So the, the time to raise your concerns, criticisms, is at the meeting, not after. Then the other concern, the other issues of Najwa, this is the most innocent form of Najwa, by the way. It has more sinister variations too. The more sinister variation is meeting's over, you come out and you find a few like minds or you pull them in the parking lot. You know, every week this guy, the Amir, he says this and that and the other. I don't understand why he can't understand the simple things. I've given him the suggestion he should do this, this, this. He just doesn't get it. I don't know what's the problem. Why are they so, you know, close minded? I was like, why didn't you say that at the meeting? And then other people, وَفِيكُمْ سَمَّعُونَ لَهُمْ You stand outside like, yeah, I agree. You know, that, that's true. you do have a point. And you start listening. And this is also najwa. It disrupts collective work. It disrupts the, the cohesion of any group. This was happening in the Prophet's time, وسلم, And this was happening in the most, sometimes in innocent ways. Innocent ways. Because a, a hypocrite, a munafiq, a, like a hardcore munafiq, would get a couple of new sahaba, that don't really know that much and they don't understand the harm that this might be. And he pulls them aside and starts talking to them about the contents of the meeting. And they don't, yeah, okay, well, he's got genuine concerns, I guess. And they start falling into something they shouldn't fall into. Then the more sinister variation was the munafi, the hardcore guys would get together all together and say, how are we going to destroy next meeting? How are we going to not let this happen? There was people like Abdullah ibn Ubay, who, I mean, he was basically the king of Medina at one point. His crown had already been prepared, his throne had already been decorated, and then shows up the Prophet ﷺ before his inauguration ceremony, and he's going to walk those steps, and he's like, oh, <laughs> all disappeared in the blink of an eye. Is he burnt by that? Sure. And he can't openly oppose the Prophet because he accepted Islam. And he wanted to accept Islam because that was the popular thing at the time. Join the winning party. Join the winning party. So he joined Islam. But the only, now the only way he can oppose the Messenger is by disrupting the activities of the Prophet. And one of the great ways to do that was Najwa. So we go from one form of corruption to another form of corruption in, uh, in, behind closed doors. And that's what this subject matter is. This is probably... Uh, the most comprehensive passage on Najwa in the Qur'an. Najwa is mentioned, for, to my knowledge, one more place, and that's in Surah An-Nisa. Uh, that's ayah number 114. Okay. min najwahum. There's no good that comes out of their Najwa. So except the one who you know, commands to good. And we'll talk about good Najwa in a second, because I've only talked to you about bad Najwa so far. Bad secret counsel. Let's talk about the, meaning of the linguistic meaning of the word Najwa. Najwa means to escape from the larger group and hold a meeting in private, to get, to get together privately. That is, this is At-Tanaji, Wal-Munajat, and things like that. To be by yourselves and have a private meeting. If you're requesting a private meeting with somebody, that's actually called Munaja, Munajat. And this is something that happened with the Prophet ﷺ. I want to make a private meeting, have a private meeting you know, with the Messenger ﷺ. We'll see that too. 
Alam tara anna Allah ya'lamu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard. Didn't you already know that Allah knows whatever's in the skies and whatever's in the earth? Allah starts with his knowledge because obviously secret meetings are held because they don't want anybody else to know. Ma yakunu min najwa thalathatin illa huwa rabi'uhum. There is not a single secret council that's heard of three people that is held of three people except he's the fourth of them. Allah is the fourth member in that meeting. Wala khamsatin illa huwa sadisuhum. And there's never five people hanging out together except the sixth one is he. Wala adna min dhalika, nor any lesser number than that. Wala akthara, nor any bigger number than that. Illa huwa ma'ahum, except that he is with them. Aina ma kanu, wherever they may be. Because not only did they pick secret times to have their meetings, usually yubayyitun, spending late hours of the night in those kinds of meetings. And they would pick secret locations. So they wouldn't be discovered. Repetition, right? Then he will inform them thoroughly of what they did on the day of resurrection. Certainly Allah has full knowledge of all things. Didn't you look to those who were forbidden from doing this sort of secret counsel? This is referring to the ayah of Surah An-Nisa that I made reference to. It was already revealed. There's no good that comes from most of their najwa. So they were already given a warning, and some people heard, heeded, didn't heed that warning and went back to this practice. Then they go back to whatever they were forbidden from. And they counsel one another secretly in matters of sin and animosity. You have to understand the transition between ithm and udwan. Ithm and udwan. Ithm is a spiritual problem. Udwan is a social problem. There are two kinds of problems here. Sometimes people don't understand Ithim and Udwan is just bad things. They just bunch it together as bad things in their mind. It's actually very, two very distinct things. One, your, your counsel is leading you to spiritual harm. It's hurting your Iman. You would say, how can a meeting hurt Iman? Yes, it does. If it's creating an obstruction to Allah's work, then it is absolutely hurting your Iman. And the second thing it creates is Udwan. Udwan means animosity. Like Adu is an enemy. The Masdar is Udwan. Ada Ya'du Udwanan. Or an adawatan also. So udwan animosity. How does it build animosity? I already told you. When a clique is formed, aren't they more aggressive towards everybody else in the meeting? Aren't they like more, more defensive? More deflective of everybody else's opinion? So they create this like subgroup. That eventually, and by the way, I, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again. This is most masjids in America. Most masjids in our country. Board meetings. People forming a subgroup, then taking the other group to court, then starting their own masjid, then having another subgroup, and starting a third masjid. Most masjids in New York City were born from a fight. Most of them came out of meetings and people not... These simple, simple instructions in the Qur'an, just observe the ethics of a meeting. When the meeting is closed and it's done, don't discuss it outside. If you have legitimate concerns, discuss it inside. We're not able to do that. We form lobbies, subgroups, you know, masjid elections are so much more fun to watch than presidential elections, you know, because there are dinners being held so that you can pre-plan who's going to vote for who, and subhanAllah. All the things we're explicitly forbidden from have become common practice. It's just, you know, status quo. It's all good. Well, and in disobeying the messenger. It's important to note here, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he's not just mentioned in the capacity of a messenger here, he's mentioned here in the capacity of a leader, the head of state, the head of the meeting. 
And so the people come together and they hold their secret counsel to undermine the leader of the group. In which, which in this case is the messenger. But after the messenger, وسلم, Najwa will happen to undermine whoever the Amir is holding the meeting and he's being disrupted by the next. You know, and usually secret counsel is held by those who oppose the leadership. They don't like the leadership. So they hold their own meeting and then they come and they disrupt whatever leadership is in place. Right? And when they do come to you, they greet you with, this, with something that Allah didn't greet you with. They greet you with something Allah didn't greet you with. And that is some argue, this is, you know, uh, when the Prophet ﷺ, his right is that we should say salam to him, uh, like all Muslims, assalamu alaikum, ya Rasulullah, they would say assalamu alaikum, may death be upon you, so they would change the greeting. Others say this is actually even more qualitative, it's not physically a different greeting, but you know, Allah greets the messenger and expects, expects the messenger to be greeted, وسلم, with sincerity. So they say salam without meaning salam. So they greet him with an, an empty greeting or a condescending greeting. Because there's a way to say salam and insult somebody too. Assalamu alaikum is an expression of respect. But if you say salam alaikum, salam alaikum, then I don't know if that's like too nice, but like the, 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 the confusing thing, for example, at Hajj, right? In Jamarat, people show up early. They show up early and they're, they're before the time for, for Jamarat has started because they're like, they don't want to get into the crowd. And the cops keep moving them. They didn't want him to stand there, so he could keep moving. So we were like a ping pong ball at one end of the road to the other until the time came in, right? The cops would come, the car pulls up, the guys on the mic, Harriki Haj, move it, Haji, 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 Haji. Right? That's what they do. But you know what else they do? Barakallahu Sheikh, Takabbalallahu Sheikh. May Allah bless you. May Allah accept from you. Is that a dua or a yelling at me? Which one is it? It's like, boop, 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 barakallahu feek. It's so confusing. <laughs> you need a hug or something? What is it? <laughs> they got a tough job, I have to say. <laughs> so you, you're greeted with something that's not really a greeting. It's not something Allah would do for His Messenger. And Allah mentions Himself here because that's an indication that Allah Himself greets His Messenger. If Allah Himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala, greets His Messenger, how much honor should we show the Messenger? So He mentions Himself in this because it's such a blasphemous thing to do, to not show proper regard to our Messenger. And once they say the horrible thing, they have a thought deep inside. And Allah captures the thought. Yeah, right? So He captures the thought deep inside. How come Allah doesn't punish us because of what we just said? If He really was the messenger and we just cursed Him, we should have been lightning from the sky. My head would have popped off my shoulders. How come nothing happened? Oh, some messenger He is. So just because of this attitude, they've actually already gone and lost their iman. They've already gone and lost their iman, subhanAllah. Remember before we saw Walil Kafirina Adabu Muheen? This kufr is deep inside. And that's captured in the world words, yeah. Why didn't we just get punished? We just insulted this man and nothing happened. I even checked. Nothing. Allah says, I don't have to punish you now, because Jahannam is enough for you. Jahannam is enough for them. Yaslawnaha. They will be thrown into it. They will cast, they will be, they'll, they'll be cast in it. What a horrible place to go back to that is. Those of you who actually have iman, have hopes of maintaining their faith. 
When you are going to have secret counsel, if you are going to hold a secret meeting, then make sure you don't hold a secret meeting that leads to sin and animosity and disobedience of the Messenger. I would extend this advice not just to secret council, but to any majlis of Muslims, any gathering of Muslims. There's a lot of young people in dream this year, which makes me happy and scared, really scared. Because when you guys hang out with each other or others, when young people get together and hang out, the conversation, there's a good 10% chance your conversation will be productive. And that might happen for about five minutes. And then you start talking bakwas and you start running your mouth, and you start talking about people that aren't there, and you start talking about others and you know, their flaws, and you start making fun of each other, and you start insulting each other, and sin, 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 sin. And then you create animosity. You take something small, and you turn it into something big. Right? That's what you do in a conversation. I often make mention of the fact that when people get together and there's a small problem, some, one person has a small problem. Like for example, I'll give you an example. You were listening to a khutbah and the khatib said something that wasn't exactly correct or it was kind of bad. It wasn't that good. So it kind of stuck in your head that it's, it's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. We always hear things we don't agree with, etc. It's not the end of the world. But you got together with five, six friends, and you made mention of the fact that, you know, the khatib, he said something I didn't quite like, this one thing. And it's a tiny little thing, it's a pebble. But now five people are discussing it. And before you know it, that pebble turns into a boulder. That khatib, I don't know about his aqidah. That khatib, I don't know, he's calling people to kufr, I think. I think we should write a letter to the masjid to make sure that he's fired and he's not the imam anymore. You can take a small problem and turn it into a very big one. This is Udwan. This is Udwan. Not everything needs to be mentioned. Not everything needs to be said. Not everything in your heart needs to be said. This is true of human communication. There's a false assumption that we have to have open communication in all things. Whatever I feel, I should say. Because it's healthy. No, it's not. That's Jerry Springer. That's not healthy. Sometimes you have something in your heart and it's better you don't say it. It's better you just say it's not big enough a deal, I should let it go. It's not that bad. You know? Like for example, just to give you a marriage example on the side, husband and wife, you know, things you don't like what your wife does or what the husband does, something small. You know, the other day, you left the door open. She left the door open and you're like, why'd she leave the door open? Then you had to close in and lock it. Now it's done, it's finished. Then you bring it up. You know, the other day you left the door open and I closed it. It's no big deal. If it was no big deal, you didn't have to say it. Because now, and then you're like, well, but we have to be open with each other. Uh, actually, that creates more problems. If it's negligible, let it go. Don't bring it up. Just move on with life. That's not ammunition you use for later. <laughs> Write that one down. Oh, close the door, lock, don't forget. <laughs> bring it up when necessary. Oh yeah? Well, you open the door and I close it. <laughs> you know, you hold on to the ammo. Don't do that. But the same is true here. Don't take small things and make them big because they might turn into udwan. They might turn into animosity against others. 
and don't get together in ma'asiyatir rasul and in disobedience to the messengers and do counsel one another secretly in good things and in taqwa in increasing each other's taqwa and this is actually one of the keys to collective work what is good najwa then? because obviously there is such a thing as good najwa and Allah even commands us to it if you're going to do it, do good one one secret meeting is you get together privately with a friend and it's not a threatening environment it's not an embarrassing environment and you take the opportunity to, for him to remind you and you to remind him, look, I really think because you know, you're becoming more and more active and you're giving more and more youth halaqas and you're getting more involved at the Sunday school, I really think you and I should worry about our spirituality too. Because we're becoming more public figures, so we should take care of our taqwa also. Maybe you and I should go to Fajr together. Maybe help each other get up for Fajr and go to Masjid together. Because we need to work on ourselves. You don't even make it about him, you make it about us. Right, make it about us. One of the things I like, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and love about Shaykh Umar Sulaiman is that he is, he never hesitates in giving advice. Never. And he never hesitates in asking for advice. He'll say, I'm going to give you a gift. That's what he said, I'm going to give you a gift, but I want a gift in return. I'm going to give you advice, what I think you need. But then I need advice from you, and what you think I need. I need it. And we'll just, that's his attitude. This is not something he does publicly on stage. This is something he'll do in private. With people that are close to you. This is najwa bit taqwa. This is, I'm mentioning the second one, taqwa. Privately meeting one another, correcting one another, helping one another, improving one another. That's a good thing. You should meet for that. And then of course the other thing is al-bir. All things good. Now let me tell you, how can you have a meeting after the meeting in the parking lot and it's good? I gave the example, it's, I, nothing else is coming in my head, so I'll give you the same example. Maybe the masjid had a meeting that we should build a gym. They had a council, take everybody's opinion. At the end of the day, it was agreed upon, we are going to build a gym. We're going to raise, I don't know how many thousands of dollars for it, okay? We're going to start our fundraiser in two months. Four of you get together, go to IHOP and say, man, they're going to build a gym. I think it's great. I think we should each put five grand down to start with. We should be the first to donate. We'll be more rewarded that way. And it'll encourage the others. So we should just do it. Now you didn't have a meeting to undermine the proceedings of the larger group. You had a meeting to propel what was already agreed on further. You didn't undercut it. You, you furthered it. The time to bring up your criticisms is over. It's over. You know? So, the one to whom you will all be gathered. And now we're learning also that bir, one of the one of, one of the great virtues of najwa, of secret meetings, of private gatherings, you should have it with people that are very close to you, that can make you a better person, that can tell you things that nobody else can tell you, and you will listen. You won't be taking it personally and saying, "Yeah, how can you say that to me?" Who are you to tell me? Not that. There, there should be people in our life that we seek out. If we don't have them, we should seek them out. That know us for who we are, and know us for who we are, and can give us advice, genuine counsel, genuine advice, based on the fact that they know who we truly, truly are. You know? And I, and I mentioned this yesterday again, I'll tell you guys again. For me personally, a formula, and that's, that's actually something that I share with Sheikh Umar, is... Uh, who I consider genuine friends, real friends, are people I knew before I was on YouTube. 
because those people are not impressed with me. <laughs> they know who I really am. They're not going to sit next to me and say, Brother Numan, I have a question. How do you do it? <laughs> they don't have that. They're like, yo, pass the chips. Come on, man. What's wrong with you? Those guys. Because Those, they know who I really am. They just don't, they know me from a screen. They know me as a person. And therefore, they can be genuine with me. They can be real with me. You know, they can tell me, you know, yeah, that was boring. I don't know what you were talking about. You were babbling too much that time. Or whatever. They can just tell me flat out. And I'll take it from them because they're genuine friends. They're close friends. You know? And that's something that you, all of us need. One of the great sources of that, if you have it in your life, is your parents. One of the great sources of that. Not every parental relationship is healthy. I understand that. But if you, have the, if you found a genuine friend in your parents, it's, it's like a divine gift. Because they know you better than anybody else. They got you all figured out. And they're, they're, they're the best humble pill you'll ever take. SubhanAllah. People say, I need the company of a shaykh to get humble. No, you just need to hang out with your mom, bro. Hang out with your mom, hang out with your dad, and you will be humbled pretty good. <laughs> they will put you in your place like nobody else. Okay? And you'll get good deeds out of that too because you're spending time with them. وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا Give them company in dunya. Right? Secret counsel, for the most part, actually, is only from shaitan. So that those who believe can be grieved. In other words, they're holding their secret meeting and you know that it's going on. You're leaving the masjid. You see the parking lot discussion with them pointing and scoffing. And you're like, oh God, inna lillahi wa inna rajiun. I know what's coming next. I know there's trouble ahead on the horizon. So it grieves those who believe. believe. Though they shouldn't be worried, there's not, there, he's not, it's not going to harm them, harm them in any way, shape, or form. Except by Allah's permission, and on Allah alone, believers should place their complete trust. Then a, 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 a safety mechanism was given. Because people that are troublemakers create trouble actually in the meeting itself. One way they do that is they meet afterwards, right? And they have their own counter-meeting afterwards. But another way they do that is that they disrupt the meeting itself by showing up late, making noise, sitting in the back, then making comments. And the Amir is speaking. In this case, the Prophet is speaking. And in the back, you hear. <laughs> Just like that. Does that disturb everybody when you hear that? You know? And it's like three, four of them, so you don't know which one who did it. So they defend each other. Then they're constantly whispering. And you can, can you hear whispers going on without actually hearing the words? Yeah. Does it distract from the, the proceedings of the work that's happening, and the meeting that's happening? Sure. So they, this, this kind of activity undermines, undercuts the work that needs to get done when the Prophet is holding a meeting. So Allah revealed a solution. And his solution was, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, those of you who claim to have iman, idha qila lakum tafassahu fil majalisi, fafsahu. Those of you who have iman, when it's said to you, spread out in the meetings, spread out, don't sit together. Because you understand the Sahaba were, had to be told to sit apart because they understood that the Prophet is speaking, وسلم, so who, who wouldn't want to get the front seat? Right? So everybody's hurdled really close to the Prophet. وسلم. So the ayah comes, no folks, spread out in the room. Spread out like a, you know, like a checkerboard, just spread out. Enough space for another person to sit in between you. That sort of thing. Spread out in the masjid. Fil majalis. Fafsahu. Then spread out. And he doesn't say fatafassahu. 
Because tafassuh would take longer time. Fafsahu, do it immediately. Just spread out. Come on. Open up the space. Yafsahillahu lakum. May Allah open up the spaces for you. Meaning, it also implies, may Allah open up more lands for you. May Allah give you victory. And he'll, you'll have more expanse. You know? So, and what's the wisdom of that? The wisdom of that is latecomers show up. Five troublemakers show up. They usually sit in the back. They got space in the back to sit together now or no? No. And now the only place they have to sit is in between two good people. So the, the scrawny munafiq is sitting between like Hamza and Omar. Is he going to say, <laughs> is he going to do that now? No. Because probably Umar has got his hand on his neck anyway just to squeeze it a little. I'm going to, you know, break this twig if you make some trouble. <laughs> right? He can't, he can't make trouble now. He's sitting in between those who are serious. So their, their effect, their, their, you know, their detriment has been nullified by the strategy of the messenger telling people to spread out in the meeting, to gather around. You know? And it doesn't leave room for a subgroup to form, for somebody to sit, just like minds to sit together and undercut. It's genius. It's genius, subhanAllah. So, and then, even more, uh, on top of that, bigger wisdom. When it says, when it said, rise immediately. Nushuz actually means this. If you, didn't, if you missed it, I'll do it again for you. This, this is nushuz. Nushuz is when a wife goes crazy at home. Like she goes crazy and she's like throwing knives at the husband. You know, and like broken plates and stuff. That's nushuz. Wallati takhafuna. Your wives have risen against you. She sees your face and she goes crazy. You have to run from the house. She's gone psycho. That's, that's nushuz. It ain't normal. Nushuz is not normal behavior. But abruptly getting up. Not so, you know when a meeting is done, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Oh, that was a good meeting. So, how's it going? Socializing begins, right? The meeting is done, now socializing begins. Allah says, no, when a meeting is held for the sake of Allah, and you're told, get up. Get up. And what does that mean, get up? Get up and get lost. Get out. Leave. Get out of here. Fun shuzu. Leave immediately. Don't socialize. So how's it going, brother? Nope. Meeting is done. Leave. Why? Because if the meeting is done, and you hang around and talk, what's inevitably going to happen? A few people will get together and say, hey man, let's go to Afra and get some shawarmas. Let's do some, you know, let's play some ball or something. And when they're in the break and chilling and driving in the car, what are they going to talk about? The contents of the meeting. And it's going to turn into najwa. Don't do it. Socialize at some other time. If you have a meeting, don't socialize. This is genius. It's preventative measures. إِذَا قِيلَ لَكُمُ انْشُزُوا فَانْشُزُوا يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ May Allah, Allah will raise in that case those who believe among you وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمِ And those who have, that have been given knowledge دَرَجَاتٍ Allah will raise them in ranks. Meaning, raising in ranks usually happens when you do something spiritual. And you will realize, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we love each other. We have love for each other, and maybe you don't get to see each other that often, so you see each other at the meeting. But to observe this ethic, it takes discipline to just leave. Say salam to everybody and leave. And Allah sees that as a sign of iman and raises your ranks. 
Wallahu bima ta'amaluna khabir. And Allah has full news, full account of what you're doing. Ya ayuhal ladhina amanu idha najaytumur rasoola. Then the hypocrites came out with another strategy. Really interesting strategy. Some hypocrites, as I told you, had political social power before Islam came. And they felt like it was completely deflated from them. It was taken away from them. So the way to maintain that is, if they get to be seen publicly as having a private meeting with the Prophet all the companions are going to see that this guy's meeting with the Prophet privately must be important. This guy must be a big deal because the Prophet is giving him private time. Right? So this was their way of feeling important or making sure the impression is given that they're important. So the, the hypocrites would come and say, Ya Rasulullah, I want to speak to you, but privately. It's a personal matter. It's important between the two of us. Because you're important and I'm important, you know? That sort of thing. So the Prophet was obviously he would oblige. He would give them the time. But Allah revealed a safety mechanism. It was a temporary measure, but it was just there to test the legitimacy and the sincerity of these people. That's what this ayah deals with. Ya amanu, idha those of you who have Iman, if you want to have a private meeting with the Messenger, sadaqa. Then right before you have your private meeting, give some sadaqa. <laughs> give charity. Like a private meeting tax from Allah for meeting with the Prophet. Give charity. That's better for you. And it's purer for you. Because the sadaqa will purify your intentions. And if you can't find it, then certainly Allah is extremely forgiving, always merciful. Usually the hypocrites were wealthy. The hypocrites, the majority of them were wealthy. So they would come and now one of the things they hate doing is what? Sadaqah. So they don't do it. But they want to meet with the Prophet The only other option is, oh, you couldn't afford it. If you couldn't afford it, you couldn't find the wealth, then Allah will forgive. So either they, they'll give the impression that they're cheap, or they'll give the impression that they're poor. And these guys are really big on their, the impressions they give. Right? So they're like, ah, forget it, I don't want a meeting. <laughs> Nobody showed up. <laughs> Nobody, and these are people who could afford it. The only one who actually gave sadaqah and had a meeting privately with the Prophet ﷺ happened to be his son-in-law, Ali radiallahu anhu. He says, I was the only one who did it. As soon as the opportunity came, I gave Sadaqah and had a meeting with the Prophet. <laughs> and we don't know what the meeting was because it was private. <laughs> That's what you pay for. <laughs> you know? Ashfaqtum. Oh, so you were all scared, huh? And tuqaddimu bayna yadayna juwakum sadaqatin. That you should have to give charity right before you get to hold your meeting. Fa'idh lam tafalu wa taballahu alaykum. Then if you didn't do so, and Allah has pardoned you, and Allah has accepted your repentance, فَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُ الزَّكَاةَ وَأَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Then establish salat, give zakah, obey Allah and His messengers, وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ And Allah is complete, has full news of what you're up to. أَلَمْ تَرَى إِلَى الَّذِينَ تَوَلَّوْا قَوْمًا غَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ Have you not looked towards those, a nation who's turned away? Now there are specifically people who turned away from meeting with the Prophet ﷺ with the wrong intentions. But Allah, Allah is talking on a character level. There are people who've turned away from this mission. They're only part of this mission superficially. The hypocrites. Allah is, Allah is angry at them. Mahum minkum wala minhum. They're not really from you and they're not from them anymore either. Since they declared Islam, the kuffar don't see them as one of them. And their Islam isn't genuine Islam, so they're not quite with you either. They're stuck in the middle. وَيَحْلِفُونَ عَلَى الْكَذِبِ And they take, they take oaths. They take hilf, they take oaths based on lies. وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ And they know what they're doing. 
They're doing, they're doing this purposely. Allah has prepared intense punishment for them. These people, how horrible it is the activities they're engaged in. How, how terrible forms of activities they are that they're engaged in. They've taken their oaths. What are their oaths? What is their yameen? La ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's their oath. Your your shahada is like an oath. And you know one of the benefits of shahada is al-muslimu man salim al-nas min lisanihi wa yadihi, right? And other hadith al-muslimu man salim al-muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadihi. The Muslim is someone who people and other Muslims are are safe from his hands and his tongue. So if you're a Muslim, you're definitely safe from other Muslims. You can't get in trouble with them. So they took their Islam as a shield. Jannah is a shield. They took their Iman, their oath, as a shield, meaning now they can do whatever they can do, whatever covert activities to undermine Islam they can do. And if they get in trouble, they can say, hey, I'm Muslim, you can't hurt me. I'm one of you. So they're using their Islam as a shield. Then, now that the shield is there, then they obstructed themselves and others from Allah's path. So their treacherous activities were being done under the shade of Islam. Then those, those people, they are, are then especially going to have humiliating punishment. Their monies and their children are not going to be able to benefit them against Allah in any way, shape, or form. Those are the people of fire in which they are going to remain. The day on which Allah gathers them all together. Very interesting. They will swear to Him just like they swear to you. They've become so good at looking sincere when they take their oaths. They've become professionals at their lies, at their convincing lies of loyalty, that they will take a crack at it on Judgment Day before Allah. Ya Allah, we were true believers, and they're going to make this pleading case, just like they do with you guys. And then they're going to think they just accomplished something with their, you know, their award-winning performance. And they're going to assume, they assume that they, are, they, are, they stand on some ground. I'll give you a figurative translation of ala shay. They stand on some ground. They have some basis. They've accomplished something. You had better know, those in fact are the ones that are the liars. Very rare verb in the Quran is coming. Istahwada alayhimu shaitan. Istahwada. Istahwada yastahwidu istihwadan. What family is that? Istahwada yastahwidu istihwadan. Hadha, they say hadha al ibil. Hadha al ibila. Ha, wow, and dal are the root letters. They say that for when you get so good at driving a camel, you can steer it whichever way you want with a little bit of a. You know, you, get, you, you have such an organic relationship with your animal that when you just, even a little bit of a yank, and it knows exactly what to do. You know, it's, it's become a part of you. You've got total and absolute control over this creature. You know, there are some people who are really good drivers. With their particular car, they've got absolute control, and they, they cut the other guy like, almost right there. Malakul Maud style. Right? Because they've got complete control over their vehicle. That's hadha. Istahwada means over time, shaitan has actually gained complete control over them. So he doesn't have to come and do like 20 waswasas for them to do something. Shaitan just goes, 
and they act. They are whooped. They are, they are under his complete command, ready at his, at his, at his slightest indication. إِسْتَحْوَذَ عَلَيْهِمُ الشَّيْطَانِ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ ذِكْرَ اللَّهِ Then he made them forget the remembrance of Allah. This will come full swing. This is one of the heaviest subjects in the Qur'an at a philosophical level. It's coming in the next surah. But it's alluded to already. فَأَنْسَاهُمْ ذِكْرَ اللَّهِ Then he made them forget the remembrance of Allah. أُولَٰئِكَ حِزْبُ الشَّيْطَانِ Those are the party of shaitan. أَلَا إِنَّ حِزْبَ الشَّيْطَانِ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ Know that the party of shaitan, no doubt about it, they're the ones that are the ultimate losers. So here, the people who, are, who follow the whim of shaitan, shaitan doesn't even have to do much. They're on autopilot with shaitan. They are the hizb, they're the party of shaitan. Now the other side will be mentioned. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُّونَ Actually, once this subject is done, then the last side will be mentioned. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُّونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ أُولَٰئِكَ فِي الْأَذَلِّينَ Those, no doubt, who opposed Allah and His Messenger was this, this kind of sharp opposition mentioned in the beginning of the surah too. الَّذِينَ يُحَادُّونَ Here and at the end, you see. It's a review. Those who oppose Allah, and, oh, those who continue to oppose Allah and His Messenger in the harshest way, those in fact are the one among those are in the midst of those who are the most humiliated. Al-Adalim, the most humiliated. Katab Allahu, Allah has ordained, declared, written. La aghlibanna, I will absolutely dominate. Ana wa rusuli, I and my messengers. Inna Allah la qawiyun aziz. No doubt Allah is mighty and, and possessing ultimate authority. From this, some scholars have derived that Allah does not allow His messengers to be killed, to be overcome. They bring, they, and if they do die, they die after the mission is accomplished. Or if they go, the nation's destroyed, they're not destroyed. They're not destroyed. This is Rusul. Anbiya, however, prophets are killed. Anbiya got killed. But Rusul, aghlibanna ana wa rusuli. They're going to dominate. And, and, and ghalaba is actually in the sense of the world. In this world, لَا تَجِدُ قَوْمًا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ You will not find a group of people who actually believe in Allah in the last day. يُوَادُّونَ مَنْ حَادَّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ That will be showing mutual love to those who oppose Allah and His Messenger. This was a test of faith that most of us are not tested with. Most of us are not tested with this. You see, in the Prophet's case, people weren't just non-Muslims. They were enemies of Islam. There's a difference. They weren't just non-Muslims. They were outright enemies of Islam. People that are, that are bloodthirsty for the Prophet. They would want nothing more than the Qur'an to, to disappear. They want Islam to go away. And they, some of them are family members with the Sahaba. Right? It's not comparable to you having non-Muslim family. It's not the same. Your non-Muslim family may not like Islam. It's maybe possible, they don't like Islam. But they're not bloodthirsty for the Prophet. They're not, they're not enemies of Islam, they're not murderers of Muslims. That's, this is who he's talking about. And Allah says, it's not possible for someone to hold Iman in their heart. And Allah and His Messenger. And at the same time, share love. Have love shared with anyone who opposes Allah and His Messenger. In what sense opposes Allah and His Messenger? Those who have shown opposition are the mushrikun of Makkah, the treacherous among the Jewish tribes. We're going to learn about one of those three Jewish tribes in the next surah. There were three, Banu Qaynuqah, Banu Nudhair, and then Banu Quraidah. Banu Nudhair will come up in the next surah. What they did, what their treachery was. right? And if you have family with them, 
Because of this, your family ties are now severed. Because of their opposition to Allah's Messenger. The Sahaba were put in a position that most of us will probably never be ever put in. Their, their Iman was associated also with who they can love in their family. In their own family. SubhanAllah, it's, it's, it's such a difficult test. It's such a, such a difficult test. Even if they were their dads, their parents. Or even if they were their children. Does Islam tell us to be the best to our parents even if they're mushrik? To, to give the rights of our children? It does. Well, you know, even if they're mushrikun. Just don't obey them. But in this particular ayah, if your parents happen to be direct enemies of the Messenger of Islam, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and they oppose Allah and the Messenger, they're part of the enemy forces, then even that universal principle, right of parents, right of children, disappears. In the case of this Messenger. In the case of opposition of a Messenger. That's why this can't be understood outside of this context. It's particular to the legacy of our Messenger and the, the challenge of our Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in. And it's very dangerous to take this ayah and make a universal rule out of it for whatever. For whoever. Unless there's an explicit case. And those are very particular cases that for the most part don't exist anymore. Whether they were their children, their brothers, their extended families. Those are the people in whose hearts Allah has literally tattooed Iman. Allah has written it, engraved it into their hearts. That is what you call faith. That they're able to channel the direction of their love for the sake of the love they have for Allah's Messenger and Allah's Book and Allah Himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah will aid them with a ruh that comes from Him. Some say this is Jibreel alayhi salam. Others say this is relaxation, comfort that they're going to get because they had to do such, cross such, an, such a difficult emotional barrier. And He will enter them into gardens at the bottoms of which rivers are flowing. They will remain in it. Allah, is, Allah would be pleased with them. Or Allah is already pleased with them. And they're already happy with Allah. All the sadnesses around them, but they've found happiness with Allah. Those are the party of Allah. This term is hijacked by a particular political group nowadays, right? Hezbollah. It's a noble term in the Quran. And it's used for people who were ready to sever all ties of love because of their love of Allah and His Messenger when Allah asked them to. These are, that, that's what Allah calls Hezbollah. And notice this surah also mentioned Hezbu Shaitan, right? When Hezbu Shaitan was mentioned, it's people on autopilot with Shaitan. Ready to do whatever Shaitan asked them to do. And the hardest thing to do is to change who you love and who you hate. It's the hardest thing to do. When you love someone, you can't just stop loving them. When you hate someone, you can't just stop hating them. But these Sahaba, these few that were able to do that, Allah gives them the title, they're my party. They're my group. Ulaika Hizbullah. Ala inna Hizballahi humul muflihun. Know that the party of Allah, they are the ones that are going to gain the ultimate success. Allahumma ja'alna min Hizbullah. Barakallahu li walakum fil Quran al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ni wa iyakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.